At RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like Him. We are committed to being gospel-focused and motivated while we are biblically holistic and humble. As a church family, we want to be in and in the community while being a place that is multi and next generational. As we reflect Jesus in our words and actions, we are united in and honoring diversity. And in all of this, we will prioritize relational and missional discipleship. As we look to the next generation, we have a loving, selfless, always present, and ever caring example in Jesus. Let's be that in our community. Welcome. Good afternoon, because we're at 10 minutes past. Uh, my notes said morning, now it's afternoon, uh, already pivoting. Um, nice, to, nice to meet everyone. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Jordan. Um, I uh, started sitting up in these chairs, MSU venue, back in 2010. Um, I grew up in a small town, well, a suburb, called Canton, Michigan. Uh, if you don't know where Canton is, if you've ever been to Ikea, it's the word that's under Ikea. It's like Ikea Canton. Uh, that's where I grew up. I grew up in the suburbs. I came to Michigan State. Uh, big change. I graduated with a small school. Came to MSU with, like, a lot more people. Uh, came to MSU Venue. Was involved in InterVarsity and RIV as a student. Um, studied history education. I, my wife wanted to be a teacher, so then I decided to be a teacher. Um, as you can see, I am not a teacher anymore. Uh, I guess uh, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Young. <laughs> Young's, Young's my, my champion. He's, yeah, he's my biggest fan. Um, studied history education. Uh, graduated, and I went and started interning uh, at Langsburg High School. Uh, you probably don't know. Does anyone actually know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some Langsburg. Yeah, the Berg. Uh, I started teaching high school history, Langsburg, Michigan. If you know anything about Langsburg, uh, it is not like the suburbs of Metro Detroit. Um, I didn't know that. I started teaching there. Um, the first couple times uh, that I realized I was in a, a space that wasn't my usual community. Um, I'm teaching one day, and uh, I look out the window, uh, and a goat runs by. Um, <laughs> And I was like, well, that, that's a problem. Um, it's not my problem. Uh, so I go back to teaching. And then I, like, 30 seconds later, I see a student run by. And I was like, OK, that good. And then uh, about a minute later, I see a student, that same student, walk by with a goat in their arms. Uh, and I was like, not what I saw back in my high school. Uh, a little bit later, uh, we got to a day, I walk into my class, and uh, no one's there, um, which was a little bit odd. I wasn't prepared for that. Uh, turns out it was the first day of hunting season. Um, I didn't know that was a thing. And people don't go to school on the first day of hunting. I don't know. Did anyone, anyone, like, the, you actually know? Yeah? First day of I don't even know when the first day of hunting season is. Oh, Dansville. I just gotcha. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, uh, camo is just another color that people wear in Langsburg. Um, I didn't ever own anything camo. Um, and there's actually, like, not a joke, like, there's actually a day where people ride their tractors to school. Um, yeah, like, that, that's, a, that's not just a joke. Like, 
I'm driving into school in a, my little Ford Fusion, and there's trucks coming by. There's like tractors, um, and it was it was it took some getting used to. Um, but actually, that same year, I started coaching track at Langsburg High School. Um, I started getting to know a lot of these people, um, and over the course of that year, uh, this place that felt very unfamiliar became one of my communities, a community that I felt like. I belonged in, that I fit in. Um, I've been coaching now at Langsburg High School for eight years. This is my eighth year coaching track. First day of track practice was last Monday. I'm so excited. Um, now I love going, yeah, the, taking that 25-minute drive into Langsburg. Uh, I have a table, my favorite table at uh, the Langsburg Dairy Den. If you haven't ever been to the Langsburg Dairy Den, 10 for 10 would recommend. Uh, you'll see some pretty great people, the Cribs. The Chris family there. Uh, so definitely go check out the Linksburg Dairy Den. Uh, but this is like a community that's, been, that's become my home. Um, and that's what we're going to dive into today is what, is it, what does community actually look like? What, how does community uh, become a part of our lives? Um, I'm going to read our core value uh, as we're diving into what does it mean to be in community and in the community. Uh, we are not meant to be alone and we need other people to fully live out our calling. We embrace the community rather than the individual for the sake of the individuals who make up the community. We do not retreat from culture, but fully engage in society as citizens and ambassadors of a heavenly kingdom. Um, and today we're going to be looking uh, at a text in Luke 5, uh, kind of one of the gospels. Luke is one of the gospels. Uh, towards the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's out and about um, in this area of Galilee. Um, he, a community that he grew up in, he grew up in. Um, Nazareth, which was like a smaller subset in this area of Galilee. Um, he's starting his ministry. He's starting to talk. He's starting to challenge. He's teaching. He's healing people. Uh, he's going about this community, and he's starting to invite people to follow him. Um, and he's disrupting the status quo of the comfort that the people around him, his community, had come to expect. Um, so I'm going to read the text, and then I will pray and jump right in. Um, on one of those days, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem, and the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then some men came, carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him into the, in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, We have seen incredible things today. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a great banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with him. But the Pharisees and their scribes, uh, were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you that um, as we entered here today, we entered into community. Um, whether we are here for the first time, whether we've been here for uh, 20 or 12 years, whatever it's been, 
um, that we are entering into a community where we belong. Um, so we just ask that we dive, as we dive into this text together, um, as, that, as we worship together, um, as we respond together to you, um, that you are a part of that community, that you are the center point of that community. Let me ask all these things in your name. Amen. Grab a sip of water. Pause. So um, as we dive in, uh, we're going to go a little bit verse by verse through this passage, um, dissect it, tear it apart a little bit, um, and see what is going on. So uh, verse 17, um, on one of those days, while, they were, while he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law, were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, and also from Jerusalem, and the Lord's power to heal was in him. So this is like setting up the stage. Uh, religious leaders uh, across this community have been hearing these things that Jesus has been doing, um, the things that he's been teaching, uh, the healings that he's been doing, and they're coming to see for themselves. They want to see what is going on. How can he do these things? What is he really saying? Um, they're skeptical. They're curious. It doesn't really fit with what they, how they perceive the world um, to be. Um, and it's about to get tossed up even more because, as it says, um, the Lord's power to heal was in Jesus. Uh, so, uh, as we continue, um, just then some men came, carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. So these friends, uh, like the t- Pharisees and teachers of the law, had heard those same stories. Uh, they had heard that Jesus was teaching certain things. They had heard that uh, he was healing people. And their first response was to bring their friend, this friend who was in need, this friend who, uh, who needed Jesus. He needed healing their first response was to come. They, it wasn't to sit back and question. It wasn't to wait. It wasn't to see what he might do next, and then maybe we bring him in. It was to immediately bring their friend. Um, it was to approach Jesus with their needs. Uh, verse 19. Uh, uh, Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, lowered him in on a stretcher, through the roof tiles, into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. So the crowd was too big. They couldn't get him in. There was people in between them and their friend and Jesus, and there was this need that they needed to meet, that they needed met. Ooh, sorry, my throat's drying out. Uh, and to clarify, uh, this need that they needed for their friend wasn't just a physical need. It wasn't so that he could walk. It wasn't, oh, his life would be so much more convenient if he was able to walk, that we wouldn't have to carry him places. Like, it would just help us all. Um, there was more to it than that. Every time someone would have seen this person um, they would have made assumptions about him, this paralyzed man. Uh, at this time, people would have um, assumed that this illness, this, uh, this, uh, his paralyzed state, was a result of either his sins, the sins that he was, uh, his like, ongoing sins, or some terrible, terrible sin that he had committed, um, had resulted in his par- him being paralyzed, or the sins of his family, that his parents had sinned so terribly that they had a child who was paralyzed that it was like a result of this sin. And every time someone would have seen this man, they would have had that assumption. They would have thought, mm, man, you really screwed up, didn't you? Or like, man, your parents like really, that, like they didn't do you any favors. Like they're the cause of this. Like something, you did something or someone did something for you to deserve this. Um, if you had just, you know, like kept to the law a little bit more, if you had studied more for your SAT, if you had done these things, uh, you, wouldn't, like, you ended up here because of choices. Like, this is why this happened. And people would have made that immediate assumption. And his friends, they knew him better than that. They wanted more for him than that. They weren't content with those judgments continuing. They wanted him to be healed. They wanted to remove that. They wanted Jesus to remove these assumptions about him. 
So they did the only obvious thing. Uh, they climbed up on a roof with a paralyzed man on a mat, and then they dug a hole through a roof, and then they lowered him down, because that's what we would all do, I assume. Um, this is where I would... That's what we would do in Langsburg, just saying. <laughs> uh, so we're uh, to, to verse 20. Seeing their faith, Jesus said, friend, your, friend, your sins are forgiven. So in this crowded room, uh, tons of people having heard these stories about Jesus, having heard of these, his teachings and his healings, um, probably packing this room full of their needs, um, their healings. They probably were coming with similar things. But something about the faith of these friends stood out to Jesus. It seemed significant to him. Um, seeing their faith, uh, what does Jesus do? Um, he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. First, he calls his stranger his friend, someone he had never met before, someone whose first response would probably be to distance themselves from him because they didn't want to, you know, closely associate with someone who had been paralyzed because of their sins. Jesus crawls, crawl, Jesus makes himself closer to him, not further away. And then he, he heals him, or he doesn't heal him, sorry. His first response is not to heal him. He does not say, oh, get up and walk, like you can walk now, you're totally fine. He doesn't respond with that. He responds by forgiving his sins. Because uh, for Jesus, the result of faith is forgiveness, that he's compelled to forgive when we demonstrate faith, that faith is, uh, has the result of forgiveness. Believing in the power of Jesus and coming to him, trusting that he will, com he will provide, compels Jesus to forgive, first to forgive. Jesus sees the needs of this man just the way that his friends did. His friends saw these needs. They brought him to Jesus. Jesus saw those needs, and he meets his needs in front of his community and in a way that the community and probably his friends didn't expect. And the need that he sees when he looks at this man who cannot walk is first to make him right before the Lord. It's not to have him stand up and walk. It's to make him right before the Lord. And are those the eyes that we have as we go around campus? As you're going to class, are you seeing people like, oh, I don't want to associate with those people because, you know, they got some stuff going on. Or are you walking around with the eyes of Jesus that like, oh, I want to make, like, these people need to be made right before the Lord. My friends need to be made right before the Lord. I need to be made right before the Lord. Like, is that my desire as we walk around, as we live our lives? Is that what's compelling us, that people would be made right before the Lord? Uh, verse 21, uh, then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? So, which is easier to say? If I stood up here and I said those two things, like if I said, like, your sins are forgiven, get up and walk, like, which one of those is easier to say? Only one of those could you, like, say something happened. Like, no one could prove if your sins were forgiven. If you don't get up and walk, like, nothing happened. Uh, that's, an, that's a proof thing. Um, Jesus could have proved right off the bat. He could have done the thing that proved who he was. But he doesn't do that. Uh, he doesn't do the thing that would prove who he is. He first does the thing that's more important. The thing that Jesus addresses is the thing that's more important. Jesus wasn't moved to prove himself to these people. He was moved to forgive. And that's what, that's what compels Jesus. That's what drew him to this man. Verse 24. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. 
So why does Jesus forgive him? That wasn't the most pressing need. He already he forgave him. Why did he heal him? So that, as it says, you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Jesus wants us to know that he can actually meet our deepest need. He wants us to know that he can meet the need that we have to be made right before the Father. That's what he wants us to know. Not that he can heal us. Not that he can change our physical circumstances. But he wants us to know that he can meet our deepest needs. And that's his greatest desire. That's what compels him. That we would know that he can meet our deepest needs. And he's willing to do what it takes to prove that to us. Uh, And to wrap it up, uh, this this first story, verses 25 and 26. Um, immediately, immediately, he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. How come? How did they see these incredible things? Because of the faith of some friends. The value that some friends had for their friends. They cared for their friend who was in need. And that's what caused an entire crowd of people to walk away saying, we've seen something incredible today. We've seen something incredible. And I wonder, uh, as I was thinking about this passage, like, which is really the incredible thing that they saw? I think for most of us, uh, if we saw someone who had never been able to walk, stand up and walk, like that would stick in our memory. Like we would remember that. That would be an incredible thing we saw. We probably would never forget that. But I think the miracle that Jesus saw, the incredible thing that Jesus saw was the faith of these friends. He saw, if we're looking at it through his eyes, the thing that made him pause was the depth of community that these friends had. And I don't think we always see community as a miracle. I don't think we always see community as something that uh, should make us pause and say, we've seen something incredible today. What if we were more in awe of the way that we have community with people that are different than us? The ability for us to come together, to walk in these doors and to be in community. What if that was something that we said, I've seen something incredible today, by being at the MSU venue? Or what if someone their first time coming here were to leave and say, wow, I saw something incredible today. This community was, that was incredible. That was different. That was something that stands out. And now, uh, as we continue on, Jesus pivots. Instead of being indoors in this room, you know, Jesus is in a room, kind of probably like this, packed full of people, tearing in through the ceiling, uh, all these people coming to him, uh, his, right after that, he leaves. He goes out. He gets outside. He starts wandering around. Uh, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Uh, so uh, to clarify, tax collectors. Um, tax collectors weren't just people that were a little misunderstood. They weren't people who were like outsiders who just like didn't really fit in. They didn't, um, and they just needed Jesus to like see the good in them. Like, oh no, you're doing so good. Like they weren't people that were like trying really, really hard to like follow after these like Jewish laws. Like they weren't like, like, oh man, and I just, I just can't, like I keep messing up. Oh, oh shoot. Like I keep trying and I'm not, I'm not hitting it. Um, they were people that were selling out their community for money. Like the community that they were born into, they were selling them out for money. And not just like the, like, like any money, it was the money out of these people's pockets. It was like money from the pockets of the people that they were in community with. That's who Jesus walks up to. Um, And Jesus walks up to him. Oh, and they sacrificed their place in community for this wealth. 
they actually like gave up this opportunity to be a part of their community in order to gain money and status and whatever. And Jesus approaches Levi, a tax collector. Uh, he comes up to him. And I don't know, I feel like Hamilton is a little bit of an outdated reference. Hopefully people still remember him. Uh, we'll see. Um, but it would be like, Ham- like Alexander Hamilton going up to King George and saying, hey, let's hang out. Like, Jesus was from Nazareth. Nazareth is in a Galilee, and Levi is a tax collector in Galilee, and Jesus, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't say that Jesus and his family had been taken advantage of by, this, by the tax collectors in Galilee, but it's very, I don't know. It's maybe fair to think that Jesus, maybe his family, had been taken advantage of by Levi or Levi's friends or these other tax collectors in Galilee, that these are people that had directly hurt Jesus and the people that he had grown up with in his community. Like this was someone that was taking advantage of his people for his entire life. And Jesus walks up to him and says, come follow me. Come be with me. Come be one of my disciples. Um, And to be a disciple is to shape your life into the life of the teacher, the rabbi. To come and follow Jesus is to like become like Jesus. And that's the invitation that Jesus comes to him with. And the crazy part is Levi actually does it. Uh, he leaves everything. He cuts off the thing that was benefiting him, the thing that he sold out his community to get. He gave up that. He gave up this wealth. He gave up this like income stream. He gave that up, but he kept, he couldn't get rid of like the guilt and the shame and the label of being a tax collector. People still knew him as a tax collector. They still come to the party later on. The Pharisees see him and they're like, why would you hang out with this tax collector? Like even leaving that he still is bearing that title and he gave up the benefit from it. And that's what he does to follow Jesus. That's what Jesus invites him into. And why does he do this? We don't really know. It doesn't tell us like what was that thing that compelled Levi to come and follow Jesus, to leave all of that and come follow Jesus. But there is something that Jesus saw and it spoke to the needs that Levi had. And in the same way that Jesus saw the needs of this paralyzed man in the first story, he saw the need, some need that Levi had that Levi was going to respond to, and he spoke to that, and Levi followed him. He invited him into something better, and Levi said yes. Verse 29, uh, then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. So Levi throws a big party. He invites all his friends. Uh, he still had community. Like, he didn't have the community that he was born into, but he still had this new community of tax collectors and, and maybe people like them. Uh, he still had people. He invites all those people to his house. He uses this thing that he had gotten, this wealth, um, to throw a massive party. This thing that he had benefited from at the expense of other people, he used it to invite his people. And then he invites Jesus. And he puts both of those people in one space. He throws a party and he invites both of these people. And he invites people to come meet someone. He invites his friends, his friends of friends, whoever he can invite, to meet this man who had just changed his life, that had caused him to turn 180 and go the the opposite direction. He invites them to come meet this person. And something, I don't know this necessarily, um, but like something tells me that there's not a lot of overlaps between the two crowds. That in the first story, these people that were packing this room, coming to meet Jesus with the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law, those people probably, like the people that, came to Levi's house, I don't know if they would have been in this first group. Like, I don't know if they felt welcome in that space. Um, As we kind of see with the Pharisees 
who are these tax collectors and sinners? Why would you hang out with them? I don't think those two groups overlapped much. I don't think Jesus was talking to the same people in both stories. I think he was talking to different groups, people that might not have felt welcome um, to come to this first place, felt welcome under Levi's roof. Um, Verse 30. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, not to Jesus. He was clear, complaining to the disciples. Uh, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, even though they weren't talking to Jesus. uh, Jesus replied to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Um, And remember back to the first story, the man with his friends. Moved by the faith of the friends, Jesus forgives the sins and heals the man. He, as Jesus went about his ministry, he was constantly seeing people in need. And like a doctor, he was compelled to turn, he, he was compelled, he couldn't turn away from pe- these people in need. He saw these needs all around him. And like a doctor, if you, I don't know, medical people trying to be a doctor in this room. I, I know a couple. Uh, you, you don't just like, oh, this person's in need. Like, like a doctor is compelled to go care for these people. If you see someone hurting and sick and in need, like you're compelled to go to them. And Jesus is making himself like that. I am a doctor. I need to go to those people who are in need. I am compelled to come to them. And he constantly is drawing them in, and he's desiring to be with them, and he's desiring to care with them, and he wants the, the people to bring in their friends. Um, but not everyone feels welcome in all spaces. Uh, we don't know if those two groups, but I think even for us, we don't always feel welcome in all spaces. Uh, the tax collector would have been probably unlikely to push their way through the crowd to come see Jesus in that first story. But they would come if their friend invited them to a space where they were comfortable and they were known and they were alike. In, so I work for an organization called University Christian Fellowship for Campus Ministry, blah, 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 all of those kinds of things. Uh, one of our core values is to intentionally go to what we call the corners of campus, um, that there are barriers between people and Jesus. There's people, there's Jesus, and there's barriers in between. And if we don't go into these corners where these people are, they might not hear about Jesus. They might not experience Jesus. And that's where Jesus invites us, is to go to these corners, um, to go past these barriers where people aren't able to experience Jesus, to go and invite, and he invites us to go to these spaces. When he says to us to follow me, and yeah, when, so for me. So thinking of like, what does it mean for me to follow Jesus? When he says, follow me, I don't think he means for us to leave the, uh, the places, the people, that surround us, not necessarily. I think he's asking us to lay down the things, to leave the things that we place our value and security in. Like Levi, he wasn't asking him to give up his friends. He was asking him to give up this being, a te- like the, the wealth, the stuff that he had, he had achieved, these things that he was placing his value and security in that he put above everything else. Yeah, what I'm not saying is that like, it doesn't require any change to follow Jesus, to clarify. I'm not saying that uh, nothing changes. Um, sometimes people can be the thing that we actually place our value and security in. Uh, but we see with Levi, Jesus didn't call him to follow him back to the Pharisees, to this first place, to the teachers of the law. He didn't tell Levi to return to them and like, make that your new community. You have to leave everything else and like, go be there. He invited him to follow him back to his own place, to his own house. Jesus says, hey, follow me. Like, I'm going to your house. Uh, little roundabout. Jesus, Jesus never, I don't know, we never talk about Jesus' house. He never invites people over to his house. He always, always, always inviting people over to their own house. Uh, 
that's uh, one of my favorite things about Jesus. It's pretty cool. Uh, he invited him to follow him back into his own community. And Jesus wants to partner with us in creating space for people to meet Jesus in a place where they feel known and familiar. Uh, in my work with InterVarsity, I work at MSU and LCC. Uh, some of those communities, some of those corners of campus that we've gone to um, have included uh, athletes, reaching out to athletes, uh, reaching out at LCC, we have nursing ministry. We have a ministry all for nurses because their schedules are entirely different than everyone else's. Uh, at MSU, we've had one in the music college on Friday nights because that's when music students are available. Uh, we've had ministry with uh, international students. We have a ministry on campus called uh, Collegiate Black and Christian. We have one called Asian Christian University. We have a Latinos fellowship. We recently started a ministry for Greek students at Michigan State, pl- starting Bible studies in fraternities and sorority houses so that people can feel comfortable in the space that they're in. We can go to these corners. And what we do when we do this is we bear the weight of displacement so that people don't, who don't know Jesus don't have to bear it themselves. So to clarify what I mean by that, um, whenever we enter a space where there is a difference in culture or personality or familiarity, we experience a sense of displacement. If I walk into a restaurant and I hear country music, I'm going to go, hmm, this is a bit different. This isn't quite my... You got something you want to say? Here? No, no, no. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a little bit different. Everyone else seems to be liking it, but like, this is a little bit different for me. Um, I'm a little displaced. Uh, obviously, that's a very different example than what we're getting at. Uh, but when we seek to reach people with the gospel by inviting them into a space they don't feel comfortable or familiar or known or understood, they're going to experience a sense of displacement. If we want someone to like leave everything of comfort to come here, they're going to experience a lot of feelings. There's going to be a disconnect. There's, it's going to be difficult. They're going to feel like, I don't belong here. I don't think this is where I'm supposed to be. Um, by going to the corners, by going into the places with Jesus, with Jesus, not alone, but with Jesus, we bear the weight of displacement so people can just hear the gospel, that they can feel comfortable and then they can be hearing the gospel. Like Levi we can meet people where they're comfortable with the transforming truth of the gospel. So, we're going to do a little raise of hands kind of thing. Uh, where are, do we have freshmen in the room? Yeah, so we got some freshmen. I'm going to list out, sorry, I didn't clarify. So we're going to list out some, I'm just going to like throw out some communities. Different communities that exist on campus. And I just want to see like, who's, who's represented at these communities? Uh, so do we have South neighborhood people? People in South neighborhood. Yeah, a few. Well, not a lot of South people, but. Yeah. Uh, East neighborhood. Do we have some East? Yeah, some East. Natalia's on her phone. Oh my, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Uh, Brody? Anyone in Brody? Brody was always my favorite. Yeah, Brody. Uh, Anyone in engineering? Engineers? And anyone in the sciences? Like bioscience? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I have students here that are just like being all weird and not raising their hands on things. I told them, I said, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. Please raise your hands. But whatever. Uh, <laughs> how about off campus? Off campus? Yeah, a lot of off campus. Uh, any like post-college people? Where's our like young adult people? Yeah. Life gets so much better after you graduate. Like that, that's a sermon in its own right. Like, man, not turning in papers is amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's so many other communities on camp. Anyone in Greek life, actually? I'm just curious. Yeah, we got some Greek life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, come talk to me after if you want to hear about Greek ministry. Sorry. Um, 
<laughs> I'm doing work. Uh, so, so one thing I'll say is that I don't think anyone's hand would be up if I listed off a bunch of communities. No one's keeping their hand up the whole time because no one's in every single community all the time. Like that's just not really how it works. That's not how community works. Um, but uh, collectively, like someone's hand goes up every time we list the community. We're in all of these different spaces collectively. Um, so, checking my time. Uh, so, uh, as we get to the, towards the end, um, what do our interactions look like in these communities? So, what does it look like to be in the community? Um, what should they look like? I'm going to give three options on a spectrum. Uh, two of them, not so good. One of them, good. What I would say is good. Uh, on one end, there's alienation. I was just checking to make sure which side it was going to go up on. Alienation. So this is when you completely withdraw away from your communities. Um, this is where maybe you're afraid or you're uncomfortable or like a lot changes and you're like, you know what, I'm just going to withdraw from this community. Like, I don't really feel like I want to be there anymore. I just, I don't know. It just feels weird. Um, you stop being present in that community. And they aren't going to impact you. Like, if you're worried, like, they're not going to impact you. They're not going to change you. But you're also not going to impact them. They're not going to trust you. So why would they listen to you? Why would they want to be like you? Like, why would they want that thing that you now have in Jesus? Like, why would they want that if, like, it means completely leaving the people that they know? On the other end, we have assimilation. So this is where there's no difference in the way that you live from the lives of the people who don't know Jesus. So this is like, yeah, you know, like, I'm feeling, maybe I'm like a worried to stand out or I'm uncomfortable like being a little bit different or having something different going on to go to church, to talk about going to church. Like, I'm just not going to go to church. I'm not going to do these things because it like disrupts the waters. It makes me stand out. Like, I'm not looking to do that. Uh, and the problem or the question is why would someone follow Jesus if your life doesn't have to change? Like, why would you, like, why would someone listen to you in that community and say, yeah, like, we're doing the same stuff. Our lives look identical. Like, that's cool for you. Like, that's awesome. But, like, nah. Like, it's, that's great for you, but, like, it's not for me. Like, and look, we're still the same. Nothing's changed. Like, we're living the exact same life, and I don't have to change anything. Like, cool. Good for you. Pat on the back. Uh, in the middle, in between, is incarnation. So, Jesus took on flesh, he became like us, to show us that there's more. And not just for those 30 years that he was, 30 plus years, 30 some, uh, 33 years that he was on earth, uh, but he took on flesh eternally. He will be like us forever. He experienced life like us. He experienced community like us. He experienced hurt like us. He gave his life for us, all so that we could become like him. He became like us so we could become like him. He became incarnate so that we can be an incarnation in our communities. And Jesus invites us to be like that, to be an incarnate presence of him in our communities, that they might know him for that purpose, so that they might know him, so that we can be like him in those communities so that they can know him. Incarnation is partnering with the part of the Lord's Prayer, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not alienation and leaving. This isn't like your kingdom come there and like let's just all leave, like let's get out as quick as we can. Like your kingdom come here, like where we're at. Like, that's this prayer of Jesus. Uh, the author, Madeline Lengel, I looked it up, the pronunciation. She uh, wrote A Wrinkle in Time, a Christian author. Uh, there is nothing so secular that it cannot be sacred, and that is one of the deepest messages of the incarnation, that nothing is so secular that it cannot be made sacred. And that's this, the word becoming flesh, 
This is Jesus being incarnate. This is us being like Jesus in our communities. When the truth of the gospel becomes an embodied presence in these communities, change follows. And when we lay down your life, when you lay down your life for your friend, your faith compels forgiveness. And when you make space for the people who are forgotten, Jesus shows up. I want to read one more scripture. This is uh, Micah 6. This is one of my favorite things ever. Uh, Micah 6, starting in verse 6. Uh, what should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow down before God on high? Should I come before him with burnt offerings, with year-old calves? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000 streams of oil? Or should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offspring of my body for my own sin? Mankind, he's told you what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. So what can we do? We can become like Jesus in the spaces he has invited us into, and we can be a part of the word becoming flesh. So what are we doing here? Why are we in this room? Why do you come to MSU Venue? Are you here to consume knowledge, information, learning a couple things? Are you here to make connections, to like maybe know a person or two? Are we here to make community? Are we here to commune together with God? At the beginning of the year, Young actually stood up here and challenged us to make community not just try to find community. Have we done that? As you look around the room, how far would you go for the people here? I know not everyone's been here since the start of the year. Um, but how far would you go for the people that you came with? How far would you go for the people in this room? Would you dig through a roof for the people in this room, for the needs that they have? Would you dig through a roof? Do you think they would do that for you? Are those, is that the community we're building? In this room, I have two of my communities. I have my, my RIV community. My InterVarsity community. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's been two of my biggest communities for the last 12 years of my life, since 2010, sitting up in that chair. Uh, and I long to see, like, one community. Uh, Galatians 3.28, uh, there's, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Not that campus doesn't need both of my communities. Not that, like, campus doesn't need RIV and InterVarsity. Not that we aren't both desperately needed by the people here, but that we're one body, a crucified body, and we desire the same thing. If you have your cards that we've been handing out these last few weeks. Uh, we desire the same thing, to invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like him, to be the incarnations of Jesus to the communities he has set before us, to be in the community as a community. And not just Riven University, I know those are the ones I'm talking about, but every Christian and every ministry on campus. That's our desire. So uh, this is where I will, I th I've talked for a hot minute. Um, so there will be, Young will be talking a little bit more about this going forward, but Riv as a body, as a community, as a church family, is doing uh, something new with community, something called Riv Communities, uh, spaces where we're inviting people together in groups of I don't want to throw out numbers just in case. It's different across the venues. Um, but spaces where people can come together, they can live life on life, they can worship together, pray together, share stories together, hear from each other, live life together. And we'll be doing that at the MSU venue. That'll be something that we'll be doing as well. Um, it might look a little different because we're college students. Well, not everyone's college students. Don't worry. I remember. Uh, but uh, we'll be participating in that as well. So, as Young will share, uh, 
But as, as he shares, as you hear about these ideas of Riv communities, of where this community, this MSU Riv family is going as a community, if that sparks a passion or an excitement in you, um, come talk to Young. Come talk to Dan or Autumn. Come speak to us because we would love to involve you in that journey. If, like this, if, if community is compelling you, we want you to be a part of that. Um, so I'm going to intro the next video. And then I'm going to pray, and then we'll watch a video. So, but um, I, am not, so, I am not a person who's naturally inclined to be with people. I like my alone time. Like, yeah, I'm very, very much not a naturally social person. Um, I have to use a feelings wheel to know what's going on in my soul. Like, I don't know how to talk about feelings. It's really hard for me. Um, <laughs> this is not something that comes naturally to me. I'm learning a lot about what does it mean to be in community to know people. Most of what I know about community, I've actually learned from my lovely wife, who's up there. Um, without her, I'd be in, in completely lost. I would have no idea what I'm doing right now. I definitely wouldn't be up here talking. Like, that wouldn't be a thing. Uh, if you've been coming the last few weeks, you would notice that we've been having videos. People within the RIV community sharing videos about um, their experience with that core value. Today, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it, these videos are giving voice to those who we don't always hear from, but we desperately need to learn from. And this week, we have the blessing. We all have the absolute blessing to hear from my wife, who's sharing about her experiences with community and all of the wisdoms that she has. Um, so if you've zoned out this entire time that I've been talking, that's totally fine, because this next three-minute video will tell you more than you really need to know. And uh, you're golden. Trust me. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we'll pop on that video. Lord, uh, we thank you that... That when we come to you, uh, that you show up in amazing ways. That when we come to you together, um, you'll show up in even greater ways. Uh, we thank you that you care for the people that we would bring to you. That you are desperate to heal the people that are sick. That that is your desire and that you are inviting us to be a partner with that. Um, so we just ask that as we're thinking through these people, these communities that we're in, that we are compelled to invite them to be healed. That we are compelled to in invite them to you. Um, that that just changes the way that we see everyone. Um, that it doesn't change where we go, um, the spaces that we're in, the people that we still care for and value, but that we desire them to experience you even greater. In your name, amen. A lot of times it's us taking the initiative, and you can't necessarily just sit around and wait for someone to be real with you and open up to you. Like Sometimes you have to take the risk and put yourself out there. It's really scary to be real and then not receive realness in return. And that has really shaken me at times. I want to know and be known, right? These are like core desires that we have as people. It's really hard then to kind of put what feels like a real self out there. And now if that person doesn't respond well, like now it's not just that they rejected a facade and they didn't just reject a persona that I created, they rejected me. And so there's a lot of opportunity, I, I guess, to be hurt. But that's why I always come back to if a Christian community is made up of people who are defined in Christ. I'm not necessarily looking to community to define me. I'm not looking to community to save me. I'm looking to community as a space where I just experience more of Jesus. Yes, this kind of community we're talking about, we call it messy, right? That is always broken people together being broken. But at the same time, if we're like all driven by this innate desire to like, 
be one with the Lord and have my identity in Christ, then actually like we have, like we're empowered to love well. And I think there's actually so much freedom in that, that like now there's this safety, right? Because if, if they're committed to loving me the way I am, and I'm committed to loving them the way they are, then there's, there isn't a fear, right? We can come to one another confidently and, and with this idea that like this community as a whole is hidden in Christ. And you know what? Even for those times that the messiness really does come through and we fail each other because we will, we're still secure in Christ. Every time we reconcile, we're declaring this victory in Christ when we love well in spite of these these weaknesses and our brokenness. And that is like the gospel in action. And I think that's just it. You just kind of, you speak truth to one another and you act accordingly. If this person's been forgiven by Christ, then I should forgive them too. When we think about Jesus, so much of what he did for us is a sacrificial love. He did that for everyone. And we look at scripture, it's just clear that like, he just like busted open the doors and said, everyone is welcome here. And so I think if Jesus did that, <laughs> maybe, maybe it sets this precedent that I should too. There's like a dignity in every person because they were created by God. If Jesus died for everyone, no matter their life experience, no matter where they've been and, and who they are even now, every person's story, every person's time. Like, I want to know it. I want to be a part of it. Like that to me is part of why community is so important to be a part of. I feel like I have this core question of just, am I loved, right? Or am I lovable? That's like way worse, right? Like, am I worth someone loving? And I was realizing that a lot of times in my relationships, I was asking that question instead of coming into the conversation knowing I'm loved. Like the Bible tells me that, Jesus has told me that. And so out of that safety, out of that rootedness, like I am a person who's loved. I can come and be real with you and honest with you and love freely, right? Because I already have my safekeeping. I feel free to love because I know that I'm already loved. And so I'm not asking questions like that. I'm not making people into a God in my life to tell me if I'm loved. And instead I can then just go and be with them and. If I'm rejected, like, yeah, that totally hurts, but it doesn't have to wreck me and it doesn't have to shake me or my faith. So.